Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. We are covering one of the classic films today from the 2000s, 2001's Training Day. Is it the most overrated film in Denzel's catalog? Is it the most underrated Oscar-winning performance of all time? Find out with us today as we break down Training Day. We'll see you guys in just one Welcome second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Sex right now. This is the office. The beat will drop now. This is action movie anatomy. <laughs> For those of you on audio, we're dancing like jackasses. Uh, we can't. Neither <laughs> of us can dance. This is action movie anatomy, guys. Welcome to the show. This is training day. Mm. If you have been listening to me complain about Antoine Fuqua for 70 episodes, then you have been waiting for us to do Training Day. Yeah. It's finally here. Guys, uh, this is Action Movie Anatomy, the only movie show on the Popcorn Talk Network talking about action movies each and every single week. The Popcorn Talk, of course, is the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie-related. I'm your host, Ben Bateman. Across the table from me is Mr. Andrew Guy. Hey, everybody. How's it going today? I get a slow clap. I get a golf slow clap. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you got. I'll take it. I'll take it. I am so excited to talk about this movie because I feel like this movie has like a half-life of a year and it just it slowly just goes down every year in people's eyes of how good it actually is. It this movie to me is sort of a hilarious example of like, so we're the same age, which means this movie came out when we were 13 years old. Yeah. Talk about a movie that when you see this movie as a 13-year-old... It is the coolest thing. The coolest. This was the only movie that anybody in my school talked about the whole year. He won the Oscar, so we were all convinced... This album had literally come out the year before. Yeah, and it's a great album. I know every word to every song on this album Uh to this day. Yep. To this day. You guys want me to just play this on repeat the whole show? Yeah. (laughs) Got Mr. Stephen Lemieux in the booth, the executive producer of the Popcorn Talk Network. Stephen, how you doing today, buddy? I'm pretty good. I just want to listen to the song, like, all day. It's a good one. This song, whenever it comes on, I'm very excited. I still think it's great. It's excellent. I remember the music video distinctly. 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 Yeah, I do. Oh, I mean, yeah, obviously. Yeah, it's a huge one. Uh, guys, if you want to follow along with the show or either of us, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media. You can find the show at AMA Podcast. And you can find me at Andrew Guy, all on Twitter. And we've been getting wonderful, wonderful feedback. Um, In fact, Stephen or Andrew, don't let me forget to reference, we were uh, written up in a blog this last week. One of our fans uh, shouted us out. I just read the post last night, her 10 favorite uh, movie podcasts, and she wrote a paragraph about each one, and... uh, we were one of them. Yeah, <laughs> she like chronicled our show in her uh, in her review. I was just blown away. Was it was incredibly touched. accurate, except for she said that one of the guys does good impersonations, which I really think <laughs> if you if you watch the show carefully, I think both of us actually do pretty great impersonations. But that is neither here nor there. That was an excellent review, and, and I'd like was... to find the shout out and give it. But for the end of the show, so yeah. uh, guys, today's movie is Training Day. We do action movies on this show. The action movies we cover adhere to four basic rules. Aside from the sort of. Uh, arbitrary rule of being made after 1981 which is kind of like a half rule mm-hmm. uh, rule number one the hero is always plays by his own rules yeah well it's really tough because in this situation the hero does play by his own rules because the hero is Ethan Hawke so we can we can just move right on to the next one uh, rule number two the villain and the hero are always the smartest people in the room this is where I think we slip a little bit I don't actually think that Ethan Hawke is the smartest person in the room I think he is the most noble just person in the room and through that right he succeeds not through his intelligence yeah but in the end he outsmarts the big bad guy he and, does and, he, and he gets end. he gets the win so i think to that end like i think he is because who is smarter than him as a hero in the movie 
No one. Denzel is smarter than him as a villain, I think. Because he's got... So they're the two smartest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. The movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. That is rule number three, and they're both police officers. Yep. Uh, this is like a movie built for it. And rule number four, there's at least one explosion. Is there an explosion in this movie? Is there an explosion? I don't think so. His apartment doesn't explode. The car doesn't explode when it's shot. Now there's like some gunfights. Maybe there is no explosion Shotguns. in this Shotguns. I don't think there's anything that blows up in this movie. I really don't think. Like, if that seems like it would turn this into more of an action movie than it is. Yeah. It's a little closer to a drama in most parts. Yeah, no, there is no explosion in this film. And guys, if we're wrong, please get at us in the live chat. But yes... It has gunfights, though, so it's definitely an action movie. <laughs> yes, it does have gunfights. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, those are the four rules that we usually stick to when we do the show. Um, there are other things that we like to reference, and we'll reference them throughout the show. So let's move on to our first bit of business on the show. And that's what we start with, which is we like to start by showing the trailer mm-hmm. and going from there. So let's watch the trailer for 2001's Training Day. Antoine Fuqua's masterpiece. <laughs> it is his masterpiece. <sighs> I got excited when I turned it on last night. Training Day? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It, it, I hadn't watched it since the theaters. 24 hours. Ooh, this is definitely an 01 trailer. Yes, it is. You'll learn about the streets. As a slave. <laughs> As a slave. <laughs> about the choices that will force a dedicated cop over the edge all in the name of good there's not one moment where you think he's a dedicated cop in the next no. 24 hours the only thing more dangerous than the line being crossed it's crossing the line good chance to give you a little taste of reality you think you can handle it is the cop who has crossed it i will do anything you want me to do will you let's see <laughs> smoke this crack right here smoke this crack <laughs> Dealer, you'd be dead by night. Oh, and oh, rap superstar. Yes. Judges have handed out over 15,000 men. Cypress Hill? Yeah. This was off of their big album that year. They had their comeback album, kind of. And today only to show me who and what you made of. You hear me? The last thing I think they put out that was relevant at all. I remember. Oh, yeah. First day on the job, you hit a $3 million seizure. Four million dollars. Get away from the girl! No, no, no. We're not racking up arrests today. You let him go. What more you want? I want justice. Right? Is that not justice? That's street justice. What's wrong with street justice? Oh, I just let the animals wipe themselves out. God willing. You can't be like this. Open your eyes. Can't you see? Police, we got a search warrant. This is not a good trailer. Bad trailer. That's Macy Gray, did you know yes, that? Yes, I did. <laughs> you think I'm crazy, right? We communicate and talk and you say it. Say it. They could have just used Denzel being sweet so much more effectively. Absolutely. A lot of things on these trees, boy. Good things and bad things, too. There's some profoundly evil people walking the streets freely right now. I'm the police! King Kong ain't got nothing on me! And, like, you go from nothing to the best line in the movie? Yeah. You know? You know or, you know, what people... Yeah. It's gonna have to be a nice day, huh? It'll get darker. Guarantee you that. That is an awful trailer. It should have started with them <laughs> sitting in the coffee shop and him and him being like, tell me a story. Yeah, right? You know, and going right into that. And then, like, hit real quick, him, like, clipping his guns together. Yeah. And then you're kind of like, wait, what's the deal with this guy? And then they yeah. get in the car. Should have been much more about just the two of their relationship. Yeah, definitely. That's a bad trailer. Yeah. Um... 
but a good movie, or is it? Um, <laughs> we will continue moving through the show, guys. So let's start off with our big, bold thought about the film. We like to start the show off with this called Thesis Statement. Mm-hmm. So Thesis Statement is that thing. You're watching a movie. You really, you really believe something about it to be absolutely the truest, boldest sort of like... This is that thing that you really think about, you cling to. It's a point you want to make when you talk about the movie. Yeah. It could be almost like rooted in hyperbole. That point that you want to make to the guy at the party when you're two drinks deep and he brings up your movie that you love talking about, mm-hmm. the thing you go to, that's your thesis thing. Yeah, if you could say only one thing in a drunken debate at a party about this film, this is what you would say. You want to, like, drop the mic after this. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to jump in with mine first, and I'm going to say that... I think uh, we have both very good thesis sta- statements this tr- week. Training Day is to the 2000s. What Scarface is to the 1980s. Now, the similarities are Both outrageous. Two of your favorite directors. <laughs> um, I hate Antoine Fuqua not as much as I hate Brian De Palma, <laughs> even though Brian De Palma is a far more talented director. Um, yeah. <laughs> they are both centered around iconic, memorable, award-worthy performances by great, great, great actors yes. with some decent secondary characters. Trinity has a much better secondary character than Scarface does. And just a bunch of like mostly stylized, forgettable stuff that is very, very aged cliche, and retrospective. Stereotypical, Super cliche, stereotypical, cartoonish. Borderline racist. Completely. When you go back and watch Scarface, moments in that movie are unwatchably 80s. Just watching this movie, moments of this movie are unwatchably 2001. Like, I, I things that you thought were cool as a 13-year-old just seem so, so silly and cartoonish now. And I also wonder what it was like for people that grew up in L.A. watching that movie. Because you grew up in Washington, and I grew up in Oregon, which is about two of the farthest places from Los Angeles, central Los Angeles, like gangland Los Angeles. So for us to watch this stuff, not only did we have no point of reference, but we were also 13. Yeah, completely. And and I mean, I just like everybody, Denzel was the coolest thing on earth when this came out. And he still is. He still is. And he's he is far and away the best part of this movie. Now, again, looking back... As good as he was, I am hard-pressed to believe Ethan Hawke deserved an Oscar nomination for this movie. Like, he is very good in it. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch this movie and come away with it being just like, oh my god, Ethan Hawke blew my mind. Right. It's like, this movie got a lot of press and people thought it was better than it was for that reason. Is it entertaining? Absolutely. Yes. Am I happy to be talking about it? You fucking bet your ass I am. <laughs> is it a classic that deserves to be on the Oscar level of the movies that it gets put up against? Absolutely not. Is Absolutely Denzel not. at his best in this movie? Maybe he's at his most Denzel. This is like watching Jack Nicholson when he's very Jack. This yeah. is so Denzel. So is is Training Day Denzel's Jerry Maguire to Tom Cruise? I, is there a more Denzel? Because like you know, remember the Titans is pretty Denzel, but it's in such a different type of that's like that's like noble savage Denzel. I can't comment. Yeah, you can't, which is <laughs> unbelievable to me. So this is I'm going to actually keep my original thesis statement because I think it's funny. Okay. Because you pretty much just destroyed it in yours, <laughs> saying that this is not a Denzel movie. This is an Ethan Hawke movie. Okay. People. And the reason that I say this is, is because you go back and you watch it again. It's been almost two decades since this movie came out. Yeah. You and I are much older than we were when originally. And yeah, like you said, when it came out, Denzel was the coolest thing in the world, and he still is. But watching this movie as a movie fan, as a critic, as a reviewer, whatever you want to call it, this movie is only good because of Ethan Hawke. You think it would be <clears throat> silly if it was just that, like you think that if he wasn't as good, Denzel would come off as like over the top? Absolutely. I think that if you had an over the top villain in The Rock, that movie would be garbage because Nick Cage and Sean Connery are so much. Yeah. They need someone to ground them in reality. And I True. always talk about that in films. And I think that Ethan Hawke is what grounds Denzel into reality, giving him the Oscar nod. And I think that that takes a huge. I can't even imagine how hard it is to sit there and, and carry a scene with Denzel Washington to try to carry it myself yeah. is almost impossible but try to match his level yeah. seems just the, like the most intimidating thing in the world especially playing that character 
Yeah, well, I mean, and that's the that's the part of it. Like when you're watching this movie, almost from the first frame, and this was the most interesting part I found. Even now, it's almost uncomfortable. The early scenes, they're kind of they kind of make your skin crawl a little bit because you're. It's like they're just long. They're these long scenes where like Denzel's like clearly such a villain, and mm-hmm. like and Ethan Hawke is like such a little Boy bitch. Scout, yeah, and oh, like whatever. he just whatever verbiage you want to use at the beginning. He just is like so soft and like. When he's like talking to him about his like having sex with his wife, it's just like really kind of uncomfortable. See, I like all that stuff. I think it's like when he sits down in the in the cafe or the yeah. diner, and he's like, he, he's just like, he's yeah. so uncomfortable. Oh, I don't think it's uncomfortable. Like it's a bad thing. Oh, right, it's a good thing. I think it's uncomfortable. Like it's very effective. That's yes. the thing that I found okay. the most okay. impressive about it was like. It, all these years later, it's still just like a very effective tool to put such such opposite characters. Um, Anyway, so th- th- I think those are solid th- uh, thesis statements. I like I like where they will drive this. I'm episode. so curious of what the audience thinks about both of our thesis statements and like whether they agree with ours or not. Yeah, I mean, I I, I am known on this show for having controversial opinions about both Brian De Palma and this movie. They're like mm-hmm. two of the things that I get chastised for the most when I talk about <laughs> movies with people. Is that people love Training Day, and I tend to think this movie is very overrated. However, as I said, I'm very excited to talk about it today. Yes, let's move right along. <laughs> to fist pump moment. Fist pump moment is that moment in the movie, guys, when you're watching something happens, you're just like fucking sweet. You look mm. around, you're like, ah, oh, this is great. I get to watch the rest of this movie. Are you guys seeing this right now? This is so awesome. Um, and for me, uh, I had two, but the one that really jumped out at me, and I we talked before the show, yeah. and it was just clearly the it's moment. It's the same. We have the same fist pump moment. Yeah. It's, it's the scene where they leave the diner. Which, by the way, is a diner that's used in, like, five different movies. Do you see that? Yeah, it's used in a lot of movies. It's called the Quality Quality Cafe. It's the same diner used in uh, Gone in 60 Seconds when he goes to meet his mm-hmm. mom before Hulk. he's going to save Kip. Uh, no, it's the same diner used in Seven when Morgan Freeman and Gwyneth right, Paltrow seven. sit down. Mm-hmm. Um, there was two other relevant examples that I wrote down as well, but I, I was surprised. It's just the same location. And it totally makes sense if you think about those locations. It feels like the same diner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um so, so it's when they're leaving the diner, yeah, and they're walking up to the car, and what, what does Ethan Hawke say? He's like, "Ah, oh, you didn't get this from the motor pool." Yeah, Denzel's like, "Snatch that menu off the, snatch that when you off the windshield for me." And he's like, "Okay." And they get to, they walk and they sit down in the car, and he's like, "This definitely isn't from the motor pool." <laughs> <laughs> and like she pushes like glasses up on his nose. He's like such a dweeb. Right. And Denzel just like cocks his gun. He's like, "Yeah, but it's sexy, ain't it?" And you're like, <laughs> "Oh god, this guy's sweet." And then he's like, uh, "What is? He, are we gonna go to the office?" Is it back at division? And he's like. <laughs> You win it, baby. Going up. And he hits the hydraulics. <laughs> yeah. and, and still DRE comes on, and you're just like, oh, my God. You're like, this is so sweet. It's so sweet. Not yeah. like For us, it's like getting in a time machine. Yeah. But then also sitting there and watching, you're just like, oh, like, got black and white, night and day, good versus evil, and it's just like, here we go. All of the reasons that... So, so one of my arguments for why this movie is sort of silly to me is like... This was the this is the movie that like Chappelle show spoofed in the Wayne Brady sketch <laughs> when he's talking about he, he, I didn't know he liked to get wet Dave that's PCP charm yeah and like it's the reason it's spoofed is because those scenes are so like over the top ridiculous stylized he puts on fucking hydraulics in a 1979 Monte Carlo and starts playing like the most popular rap song at the time by Dr Dre with like a giant gun and a huge These silver gigantic chain. guns are just hanging out. Yeah, it's outrageous. It's it just amazing. And, like, that's the best part about this whole movie to me. That was my favorite scene. Same, by far. There's that scene, and then, honestly, I really actually love the scene where Ethan Hawke is at the Mexican gangster's house. Yeah. Because that's what they're referred to as. Um, <clears throat> I just think it's awesome, because 
it is a little bit like, oh, of course, you know, like, oh, that's gonna come back around, like getting saved because oh, yeah. he has the my wall least of the favorite girl. part of the whole movie. Hate that, part. right? But I, I love it. I don't know why. I just, I loved it. I think it's sweet when you get that moment where he's like, he pulls the wallet out, and you're like, oh, here we go. That's like the 13 year old kid in me being like, yeah. And Cliff Curtis playing his 13th nationality. Yeah, yeah. at least <laughs> the 13th nationality. I love Cliff Curtis yeah, so much. Too. Huge fan. Huge fan. He's not a very convincing Mexican. Yeah, he does fine in this. He does fine in this. Um, I, yeah, my other fist pump would be when uh, when Denzel just opens fire, and it's like the sl- oh yeah, it's the slow mo of like the gun, the one straight gun and the one sideways gun that he's like pumping as though they need to move. Yeah, and like it's just like again, you're holding a fucking gun sideways. Like, Why? It's not how you shoot. Yeah, you like, know that you're a cop. Everything about this is just absurd, but it's just awesome. <laughs> that moment when <clears throat> they kill Scott Glenn, yeah, was is is like almost a fist pump for me because I remember sitting there watching that moment because. You know, I've seen this movie probably five, six times. They still do a really good job of building tension yeah. in this movie. And, and that scene with the gangsters at the dinner table, Fuqua had given all of them individual direction yeah. to just mess with Ethan Hawke. And that scene really is super tense. But the other one with Scott Glenn, where they're sitting there in the living room, as a kid, I remember when Denzel shot him. Yeah. And I was just like, oh yeah. my, You're like, holy so shit. evil. Yeah. yeah. He's like, he's your friend. Why? Because he knows my first name? Yeah. You're like, oh, damn. Hell yeah. no. This, the thing about this movie, and people have been saying it for years, is it's almost like it's almost like they wrote the movie for Denzel to win an Oscar. Like it's, yeah. it's like a lot of it feels that way. If you think about the way the movie is set up, it's just scene after scene after scene for him to have these great monologues, yeah. have these great tense scenes. It's just this great, this hilarious, ridiculous arc, and he speaks every language. Yeah, which is great. It's awesome. <laughs> um, Denzel has gone on record numerous times saying this is his favorite role he's ever played. Yeah. Um, it's just like I, I think that's sort of funny when you watch the movie. You can you can throw most of the scenery away. It's mostly just about his big his big moments, his big scenes. Yeah. Um, and he's awesome, obviously, because I mean a lot of people think that he got the Oscar for this movie not because of this movie, but because he had been passed over. The Hurricane was mm-hmm. the big one that he should have won for just two years prior, I think. Um, and then this is the last Oscar nod he got until Flight for like twelve years. Yeah. Separated, you know. Uh, which is a perfect segue into our next conversation, which is the star profiles, where we always talk about the movies that these guys had done prior to this film. And, and yeah, so speaking about Denzel, he did Remember the Titans in 2000, The Hurricane in 99, and The Bone Collector in 99. Yeah. Which, <clears throat> it's very interesting about the 90s, is you can do throwaway action movies and Academy Award-winning dramatics back-to-back, and yeah. no one blinks an eye or bats an eye, whereas that is not really as acceptable now yeah. in culture. Yeah, it doesn't work anymore. This was, I mean... He'd already won for Glory. He'd been nominated three or four times, I believe, already coming into this film. Yeah, what would the I think he has a total of six nominations and two wins, I believe. Yeah, he won the supporting for <clears throat> Glory, and he won the lead for, for this. this. He and also he... had a nomination for Malcolm X. Hurricane he also had a nomination for Hurricane for Flight, and I think one more. There is one more. Um, I believe it would be Cry Freedom. That sounds. That could be right. 1987. Stephen, would you mind looking that up for us? Is that okay? Um, Please. What's the question again? Uh, was was Denzel Washington nominated for a movie called Cry Freedom in 1987? Just just his his I guess his Academy Award nominations is what we're curious about. Um, uh, yeah, nominee best supporting actor, best original music score for the movie 1988. Cry go. Freedom. Yeah, but the oh. movie came out in 87. 87. <clears throat> okay, so yeah, so, snap. That's pretty good. We're pretty good at this. Yeah, pretty good at this. It's like we do a show or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the Hurricane, which is awesome, very uh, you, very good film. If people haven't seen that movie, that's one of my favorites. It's a really good movie. And you love Flight as well. I thought Flight was really good, to be honest. I mean, he's just is a he's just awesome in it. He's he's. 
I wanted to kind of work this in somehow, and I didn't know how I was going to do it. I think this might be a good chance. Is when we've done any movie with Tony Scott and Denzel, it always talks about how Tony Scott <clears throat> uses Denzel as his muse. They're both at their best when they work together. Yeah. And the reason for this is, is that Tony Scott has Denzel play these faulted characters that at the end of the day are good people, but they're human. And, yeah. they, and they have like bad things about them, I yeah. guess, or, you know, weaknesses. He doesn't really have that characteristic in this film. There's nothing really noble about what he does. Yeah. And I think that might be a reason why Denzel is just not that good of a bad guy, maybe. Maybe he's just better when he's a good guy with, with mistakes about him. You mean or, that's why he seems sort of cartoonish and silly in this movie? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen Safe House, and, I, and like you said, I think he's a bad guy in that yeah, movie. Yeah, I haven't seen that <clears> So either. I can't talk to him or speak about him as a villain in every film, but you look at him in Flight... Yeah, and you look at him in this film, and I think Flight is such a better performance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's much more subtle, I guess. Right? It, this is this is. It's. I don't think that he took this character and was like ridiculous. I think it's kind of more by nature of the way the movie's set up, and also like it's just like the way it's he's written. Like he it's is just so weird because even reviews that came out <clears throat> at the time this film came out, and my favorite one is that Den- Denzel is as straight as Beverly Hills is ghetto. Yeah, and it's true when you watch this film, that's not how people act that are like that no you know it's very cartoonized and hollywoodized yeah i mean he so he's based off of a real guy yeah. um he's based off a real guy there was a whole entire internal investigation uh in the late 90s into something called rampart there's actually several movies about this i think the movie rampart with woody harrelson is about that as well yeah um but it's all like crooked cops and it's all like this giant scandal with murders and theft and whatnot um he's based on a real guy and uh, the real guy had the, he had the beard. He wore the big gold chain. Mm-hmm. Like he tried to base his performance and his uh, what he looked like quite a bit on this guy. So I thought that was sort of interesting. That like you wonder if there was a real guy out there. Was he was he like this ostentatious and like right. charismatic and like you know I mean that's in some ways like what gets him killed is like he is this just like this big dude with the guns and the chain. He's just like, got a short fuse. He gets himself in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So then, okay, so let's hop over to Ethan Hawke and talk about his career, because Ethan Hawke is one of the most interesting, yeah. maybe underrated actors of our time. Yeah, he stays under the radar, that's for damn sure. And cause so, in, so in 2000, he did Hamlet. In 2001, he did Waking Life, which is that animated Richard Linklater movie that is, is people love that movie. Yep, yep. Uh, and, then, and then Tape in 2001, which I don't know what that was. We looked up Tape at one point for somebody else. I think that it's, um, I think that it's. Uma Thurman maybe in tape because I think she Makes was in sense. tape directly before she was in uh, Kill Bill. Okay. I want to say. I think that it's Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. So I don't know much about these movies. Um, yeah, I, I think I've seen Waking I've Life. I've seen Waking Life. That's the And I never saw Hamlet. I did. It's it's Hamlet. You yeah. Know, I've seen 10,000 variations of Hamlet. There's not a lot. Ethan Hawke isn't one of the best. It's not one of the worst. Sure. You know? um, but that's going to get us right into our AMA question of the day. Which is, uh, it's been submitted by Eben, excuse me if I... Ebhin. Ebhin, if I pronounce your name wrong. It's E underscore dog underscore 95 on Twitter. And his question is, do you feel Ethan Hawke is one of the most underrated actors of his generation as he held his very... er, Excuse me. Do you feel he's one of the most underrated actors of his generation as he held his own throughout this film? Which is basically my thesis statement. Well, a few things. Um, So Hawke started filming Boyhood about three years after this mm-hmm. um, every year that he would do a piece on that movie Boyhood to me is the one when I saw it that I was like this guy is just a fucking boss you love that movie I thought that movie was great yeah. like, I think that movie is just great um, I think Ethan Hawke is a really really solid actor I think he is very underrated he's never been 
he's never been a guy that I think of as like a leading man that I would like really want to watch as a leading man in a movie but yeah. he is a perfect supporting character this is one of his better performances when I said that earlier it's, it's not that I didn't think he did a great job it's more like it doesn't stand out to me as the kind of role that gets nominated for supporting actor I guess yeah it's very subtle it's like if this, if his, if that performance was in a different movie without Denzel opposite him, yeah, it would have just completely been washed over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It got a lot of attention because Denzel, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's the, you know, it's it's the new David Ayer movie starring Denzel. You have to see it. He's got this big crazy performance as a crooked cop. You have to watch this movie because right. he had been passed over for the Oscar. He was full on gunning for awards at that point. You look at the trajectory of his career over the next five six years. He we talked about this a lot. More. Yeah, he literally wins for this movie. And then, like, his run, Man on Fire is, like, 03, then it's, like, mm-hmm. Out of Time, it's John Q, it's Antoine Fisher, it's The Book of Eli, you know, American Gangster's thrown in there, but for just the most fun, part... it seems like. Yeah, it's just, for the most part, it's The Equalizer, it's all these movies where you're just, like, you're getting a little older and you're just taking roles for fun. Two guns, I mean... I mean, I think his best <clears throat> his best performance when he when he sits with that character between, like, Crimson Tide and... Uh, and Training Day, yeah, you know where he plays that guy in the middle, where he's pretty Denzel, but he's also kind of toned down a little yeah, bit, you know, totally. Uh, do I feel Ethan Hawke is one of the most underrated? And, and, and guys, just to let you know, there was a lot of really, really great questions. I just felt like a lot of them were going to get touched on throughout the episode. A lot uh, of them were about Denzel performance stuff, yeah, and whether this movie's underrated or overrated and all that. And I, I figured we'd answer all of it throughout the show. This is the only one that I thought we might not touch on a lot, and, and it's such a tough question to answer because. He does a lot of movies that are really bad. And in those movies, he's not very good in them. Yep. And like you said, he's a very good supporting character. So, yes, I think he is one of the most underrated actors of his, of this generation because he does a good job and he fills great roles and he's got turned in great performances. But at the other side of that, I think he could also have just been completely forgotten about and just not worked at all over the last 16 years and no one would have cared. You know, like that type of thing. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I think he's slightly underrated, but I think he's also had a fantastic run and that he should be very pleased with where he's at in Hollywood. Because yeah. he is not, he does not have that leading man charisma that we talk about. Yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely missing a quality that would vault him up into A-list. He, he's been one of those guys where by name recognition at this point in body of work, he's sort of A-list. Yeah, but, for sure. But by like the roles you'd put him in, he's not really A-list. He's sort of more B. I mean, here's a great question, guys. How many of you would be so excited to hear about a brand new Ethan Hawke movie? You know, starring Ethan Hawke, you know, directed by James Cameron or something. Yeah. I wouldn't, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. Well, let's move right on. Thank you again, Eben, for your question. And we're going to get right on to production development. Let's talk about your boy David Ayer here before we get you into Anton. All right. So here, here you go. I got a, got a question for you. Um, when this movie came out, it was the first one yeah. where it was like, okay, Crooked Cop, bunch of bunch of like Hispanic <clears throat> gangsters in Los Angeles and a bunch of drama that goes with the police department. And the Russians are involved, yeah. as always. That was, the, that was the first time I had seen this plot line. And uh, I'm going to name some movies for you. Okay, you got Training Day. Mm-hmm. You got Harsh Times. Mm-hmm. You got Street Kings. End of Watch. Dark Blue. I'm so glad you said Street Kings. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think I'm forgetting any. Uh, th- those, those, I'll name those five for now. What was Mean Streets? Was that it? Was that one? Like, oh, that's, no, that's, that's, that's classic. Yeah, yeah. That's Scorsese. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a shame that I just Guess said that. what those five movies have in common? <laughs> uh, please tell me. Every single one of them is written or directed by David Ayer. <laughs> Every uh, single one. Yes. I love it. Okay, so just to let everyone know, before the show, Ben's like, you know what David Ayer's written? Because this week, Ben did writer and director, and I did producers and the other stuff. And uh, I was like, no. He's like, that, you know what? I'm just going to wait for it on the show. I'm going to tell you. And I'd completely forgotten about that moment until right now. Are you kidding me? All five. That is... Unfucking real. Un 
unbelievable. They're like this. It's like watching the same movie and caricatures and stereotypes and all these things where you're like, this movie's pretty close to being awesome, but it also has this sort of laughable quality of, of like really like cartoonish villains. And they're all dark blue. I, I would strike oh. from the record a little because I think dark blue is, is doesn't quite deal with the same parts of LA as much. Right, right. But right. the other four: Street Kings, Harsh Times, Training Day, and End of Watch. They're like the same fucking movie. I'm so glad you said Street Kings. He makes so me so happy. He wrote originally. Uh, he was a guy. He was like a script doctor guy yeah. who worked on Fast and the Furious as a script doctor. He was he was in the Navy and he took some of his like naval stuff uh, that he that he learned while serving. And he wrote. He was a script <laughs> doctor on U five seven one. He did a draft of that movie, the submarine movie with Bon Jovi. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then after those films, he wrote the first draft of Training Day in 95 and um, he ended up finishing it once he got the inspiration with all the, the news with the Rampart investigations. Oh, right, right. Uh, at the time, there was a unit called CRASH, an acronym for something like um, Community Resources Against Something Hoodlums or something. That's what right. it stands for. And it was basically like an on-the-street, really at the lowest level, dealing with gangs in Los Angeles. Every department had uh, a CRASH unit. So... Um, a lot of the crash officers were corrupt. That's what that's what the Rampart investigations were about. And the guy that Denzel plays, um, he's the guy that en- ended up turning state's evidence and outed most of these guys when they oh, caught. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. When they caught him, most of his testimony is what incriminated like seventy officers. Um, changed his name. Anyway, long story short, David changed Ayer, his name to David Ayer. <laughs> <laughs> David Ayer got the inspiration to write this movie, and he is the only credited writer on the script. Yes. Um, he even got a phone call from the president of Warner Brothers at the release of the film, congratulating him as being the only writer on the script. It's actually the chairman of Warner Brothers, but mm-hmm. um, that's very rare. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah, that's true. There's usually always a doctor, at least someone else, or a story, or characters, or something like that. Did you see that thing about how people were, like, grilling him for how unrealistic the movie was, and, like, Ethan Hawke doing drugs and all that, yeah. and he just, like, he just, like, held up a handbook yeah. about, like, being undercover and doing drugs? Yeah, he, like, had all the all the facts and, like, references. So, um, Dark Blue, he and that was, like, his I think his first... Was Dark Blue before? I think Dark Blue is 2000. So I think Dark Blue Dark Blue. That's Kurt Russell. Yeah, I don't know that. I oh, mean, I recognize it. But it's a good I, one. Yeah. It's a good one. But so then, yeah. Anyway, David Ayer, most recently, the thing you guys know him is that he just directed Suicide Squad. That's mm-hmm. the big thing he just did. Um, did you see that? I still haven't seen it. I, haven't, I still have not heard very good things. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. I, I will see it. I should have seen Same. it at this point. I know. I, I really wanted to. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's David Ayer's story. He, he, did some, he wrote some other stuff as well. I mean... I don't. I would never call David Ayer bad because I think that there's a lot of success to what he's done. I just like those movies to me. Like I actually think of those movies, the one that I enjoyed the most from a good movie standpoint is End of Watch. I actually think that movie's pretty good. Um, hmm. I think and Harsh Times has a really awesome performance from oh, Christian Bale. I hate Harsh Times. I like Christian Bale it's in that like movie. Really a lot. hard to watch for me. Um, I think Street Kings is pretty garbage. Yes. Uh, Dark Blue is entertaining, and this movie is super entertaining just because it's got for me. This is my his best for me. Yeah. Uh, He also wrote SWAT. (laughs) Yes. Just a gem. So anyway, uh, where's where are his friends? David Ayer. Yeah. They're like, hey, dude. um, Look, man, you've had a great run with this whole like LAPD cop thing. Yeah. Right. Just try something else. Just try anything else. Just try to do something else. Other genre. Well, because he he wrote the first ones, but then in a row he directed Street Kings, End of Watch, and Harsh Times. He directed all three. Harsh Times was a directorial debut. Um, My roommates in college just destroyed that. Like that's if we could talk about a horrible movie, that movie always came up. Harsh Times? Yeah. yeah. I don't know why. They just hated it so much. Uh, okay, so I'm going to talk about the producers here a little bit. we got Jeffrey Silver and Bobby Newmeyer, who um, they're actually two halves of a production company that ended up 
excuse me, for me. I'm still trying to get my voice back from yeah. the draft. Uh, it was called Outlaw Production. That was based off of uh, Clint Eastwood because they wanted to be like outlaw gunslingers, like risk takers with production. Um, and you know what? They were actually really successful. Uh, Newmeyer, when he he decided he wanted to become a producer when he walked out of Steven Spielberg's E.T. He walked out and he's like, that's what I want to do for a living. And then he started working for Columbia Pictures. Um, and then he became vice president of acquisitions there. And that's like right around the time that he started this production company with um, Jeffrey Silver. And they ended up working on a lot of movies together. Um, they did like, you know, the Santa Clauses, the Terminators, Salvation. They did, um, Silver did Edge of Tomorrow. Not with new one. Yeah, I figured you'd be pretty happy about that. Um, but unfortunately, uh, Bobby here, he he passed away in 2005. He, he'd been having complications his whole life with asthma. And oh. he was on set working on the film Breach, which was a part of their production company. Mm. And uh, yeah, he was working out and he had a heart attack. And um, he ended up passing away. But one thing that I actually really liked about him was that he was one of those guys, if you look at the movies that they did as a production company together, you would think that they're more just like trying to make money. They're not really like labor, labor of love guys. But when he died, he was working on a film called Breach, like I said. And he was he was also working on Santa Claus 3 and Fat Girls, uh, which I don't really know a lot about. Other no. than that, he had taken and liquidated basically all of his assets to pay for this movie. Fat Girls? Fat Girls. Huh. That no one has heard of. And I, I wanted to research it more, but I ran out of time. Um, but he just kind of seemed like a cool dude. Like, if you go and you look at his whole filmography, he's just one of those guys, I think, he just did what he wanted to do. Sounds he just like wanted it, yeah. to make movies, and he stuck with franchises, and, and he just did the things that he wanted and that he thought would be successful. Maybe we'll do Fat Girls on here one day <laughs> if it comes out. Yeah. Um, uh, Silver, on the other hand, he has produced over 30 films, grossing over $2.5 billion worldwide. He's wow. still working now. Um, he, he was the original producer of the first two seasons of The Wonder Years, which oh. I thought was cool. And the pilot, and he is right now working on Ghost in the Shell, which is getting a lot of fl- or Ghost in the Shell, which is getting a lot of flack. Yeah, for uh, uh, putting Scarlett Johansson in the lead role and the live action Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, which looks to be pretty sweet. And Ghost in the Shell um, will probably flop because it's a classic anime that people love, and it will probably be nothing like it. So yeah, and it's starring a white chick, which yeah. is just unfortunately you just can't do that anymore. Yeah, it's rough. <clears throat> um, so, so let's get to your uh, let's get to your boy Antoine Fuqua. Okay, guys, if you watch or listen to the show, you know I've talked about Fuqua many times. It comes down to basically just this, and this is the movie that that's the heart of all of it. Yes, Fuqua this is. was a music video director in the 90s like he directed music videos for like prince um i think like tony braxton maybe and uh right. his first movie that he directed was the replacement killers if you guys remember it was that movie with chow on fat it was like around the time it it was being marketed to like american audiences as though it was like this cool action movie. i remember seeing trailers for it on vhs and in theaters like the replacement killers like i you know it was this big chow on fat was huge overseas so um, this was. Have you seen it? I think I've seen it once. I saw Replacement Killers when yeah. I was a kid. Okay, yeah. it's <clears throat> super unmemorable. I like remember almost nothing about it. Right. But uh, that was his first movie, and I believe his second movie is is this. He he may have one film in in the order before he does Training Day um, that I'm forgetting, like a movie that I haven't seen before. But Training Day, I think is. In fact, I think he does. Training Day is his third movie. Okay. After Training Day, he got sort of hailed as this guy that was like. Oh, he's this really this visionary director. He just understands character and action. And like, it, if he was just talked about as this guy that was like a great action director, like if he, he was talked about like Tony Scott. Yeah, but even Tony Scott, I still think has like style points that he doesn't yeah. have. 
if he was talked about as just like one of those directors that like a name that you would see on like a bunch of straight to video Wesley Snipes movies right where like the movie's pretty entertaining or even not even straight to video even like just throwaway action movies the art of war yeah you know things that do go to theaters they don't make a lot of money and they're kind of forgotten about yeah like if he makes movies in 30 years from now, what are they going to say? Right. So the thing is, it's like Training Day comes out and you, it, it's got it's all this Oscar buzz because of Denzel. If you look at the things that he follows it up with, it becomes much more clear the kind of director he actually is. Yeah. Okay. He made that terrible King Arthur movie with Clive Owen. Mm-hmm. He followed this movie up with Tears of the Sun with Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis yep. 2003. He ended up making Shooter with Mark Wahlberg and Danny Glover. He made The Equalizer, which is fucking sweet, but, but it's, it's just not a good movie. Like a silly it's action sweet. movie. He he made uh, Southpaw. He made Southpaw, which was like an attempt, at like a dramatic movie. But again, it was just like it was. I, I hated that movie. Magnificent Seven comes out very soon, and I feel like I'm forgetting one other movie in there. You that's, are. You're forgetting like one of the big ones in there. And it's, it's yeah. Anyway, keep going. I'll um, look it up. Yeah, Stephen, if you can actually throw the uh, box office graphic up on the screen for us, oh, actually, um, it'll probably be in there. Uh, we've got all <laughs> of the all of the movies listed there in box office. Um, he's got one other like one other pretty major movie that I feel like. Uh, training Olympus is fine. Oh, Olympus, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. totally, totally, to- and Brooklyn's finest. Jesus, um, they're all like just like above average to entertaining drama action. Like every one of them, and and like Training Day gets looped into this category. Like it's a good movie, but it's like it's just a very entertaining movie, much in the same way that fucking Shooter is entertaining or Equalizer is entertaining. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I is that Bolt. Uh, Bait. Oh, Bait. Oh, okay. Bait was I think the movie <laughs> the that he Fox? did. No, that's the one that he did before. I'm pretty sure that's the movie that he did before Training Day okay. that I was forgetting. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, yeah, 2000, this year before. Yeah, so he's not a good director. I mean, he, he's a... Uh, I know, it's such a hard... It's such a hard ...designation to, to give to someone. Because he is a good director. And we're an action movie show. So, like, it's not that we don't appreciate him fully. Like, he's directed more sweet movies we'll do on the show... Oh, absolutely. ...than almost anyone on the whole show. We're going to end up having done probably five of his movies by the end of this. Right. The only other people that are in the, even in that conversation are, like, Tony Scott yeah. and, like, James Cameron. There's, like, a few guys. Yeah, that's it. Like, we will do five of his movies. And and and, it, and he's so good at what he does, but... He's always going to be known as the as the director of the Academy Award winning Training Day. That's what I was trying to get at earlier. Is if he's making movies in 30, 40 years from now, somehow, he's like 100, that's what they'll still say. Yeah. And I'm sick of it. Yeah, unless we get proved wrong and he directs something that's just like masterful. But that's what Southpaw was supposed to be. Yeah. Southpaw was supposed to be masterful. Yeah, it was supposed to be really good. <clears throat> so that is uh, my appraisal of, of Antoine Fuqua. Um, now that we've done this movie, uh, we've gotten it off our backs. We, uh, I mean... Oh yeah, I forgot to t- I forgot to read this part when we were talking about the script. Something I wanted to mention. Okay, the original ending of the script was Hoyt <laughs> crashing the pad of Alonzo's girlfriend and finding his training officer in the middle of an orgy with two young women. Uh, Hoyt shows him the money that Smiley was supposed to deliver to the Russians and tells him that there's a crew of hitmen looking all over for him. Alonzo then commits suicide in front of Hoyt. Like, would it have been a better movie? I don't think so. I actually think that would have what would have made this movie the best movie ever would have been Hoyt dying in the bathtub. I think that would have been way better. I think if he had died in the bathtub and then Denzel had died, and that's the movie. And but both, how did? But then no one would have stopped Denzel. Yeah, Denzel still like because he had all the money to meet the Russians, but Hawk took it. So if Hawk dies in the tub, then he gets away. Okay, so then Denzel doesn't die, and you're just happy with that. Yeah, he still gets to deliver his King Kong ain't got shit on me speech. You can just change that somehow. Just change it up. Yeah, somehow. I don't know. I mean. I think that the biggest one of the biggest faults of this movie is how it ends. I think it's I think it's crappy that Ethan Hawke like coincidentally saves. Survives. I think that's such a dumb plot point. Right. And that like and then he like fights Denzel and then Denzel doesn't kill him on the roof. Why doesn't he just kill him? 
That's another one that doesn't make any sense. There's a couple. I mean, there's a... There's that weird thing, like, there, so much of this movie is based off of Denzel playing Ethan Hawke as a fool. Yeah. But then there there also is that thing, and I think if they played it up a little bit more, that the reason that Ethan Hawke wins is because Denzel is so endeared by yeah. his Boy Scout, Boy Scout, Boy Scout mentality, yeah. that it reminded him of being a kid, of being a rookie. Yeah. I think if they would have touched on that more, then the whole thing would have made a little more sense to why he didn't kill Ethan Hawke a couple times, numerous times. He's, I mean, they're shooting at each other in the house. Look, dude, he just capped a guy sitting in a chair with a shotgun. Yeah. You can easily kill Ethan Hawke right there if you want to. You can't. And all of them wanted him to. And they kept saying, he's like, no, he's got the look in his eye. You know, he's something special. He's something like... If there's no means to the the patronizing yeah. and all that, then it just comes off as 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 lame. Yeah, and you know, agree. Genuine, and also Dr. <clears throat> Dre is not particularly convincing. He is not a very good actor. As Smiley. Uh, all right, I'm gonna move right into critical and box office here. The, this was what his third most successful or something like that. Second, I think we had King Arthur as the number one worldwide, and I think right. it looked like this was four. Uh, so this was produced by Warner Brothers. It was. Only $45 million to make, which makes sense. They didn't have anything crazy going on. Uh, it opened October 5th in 2000. It made $76 million domestically, 28 worldwide for a grodel, a toast. Wow. Toast grodel? Toast grodel. What is going on with me today? <laughs> a total gross of $104.5 million, and it opened at number one uh, at $22.5 million. It's got a 7.7 from IMDb, which is... I think it is a little high, actually. I think when you said seven point one or seven point two, that's that feels more correct. Yeah, I would have just guessed like just over seven. I mean, it's it ref, it's reflected in the Rotten Tomatoes at seventy two and sixty nine mm-hmm. for uh, for uh, top critics, all critics. It does re- it does reflect our audience at eighty nine. It does, um, which makes sense. Uh, I do find it kind of fascinating this, that worldwide this movie only made one hundred four million. It's just that same conversation we keep having about Denzel movies just not making money. It's weird. It really is because we we find overseas our superstars they love Brad Pitt movies they love Tom Cruise movies you know yeah why don't they love Denzel movies it makes no sense the dude's been famous my whole life I mean and they to some degree they do now more than they used to which is why like Safe House and The Equalizer have played so well is because their VOD audiences internationally have been great Um, and that's why they're getting sequels I just don't understand why it's taken him so long and like moving into this weird part of his career to not bad movies, but not great movies. Yeah, I mean, I do think that he's, like, sort of... Like, he is still capable, because he's, like, 64 now or something? Gotta be, yeah. 63. Like, Denzel's still capable, in my mind, of, like, pulling off... For the, He's got five to ten more years, I think, of being able to pull off characters in their, like, 50s. Yeah. Like, I think he can do it. Um, and so I think there's a decent shot that Denzel will take one more crack in an Oscar role. I hope so. I hope that towards the end of that run of playing in his 50s that he embraces playing the older man, too. Like, I mean, Morgan Freeman has been playing that character for, like, 30 years. Yeah. You know, that, like, I mean, we always say the noble savage, but he's just always been, you know, older than Denzel. Yeah. I would love to see Denzel in his, like, 60s and 70s win an Oscar. Yeah. It would be so awesome. Yeah. And, I mean, he, if he stays healthy, like, he'll he'll be able to really, really go after it for, like, another decade. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he will. Um I got a good top five for us this week, okay. I think. So you were just talking about the end of the movie and how you thought it should have been different, where I think the end of the movie is sweet. I love that, like, 2,000 bullets get put into Denzel yeah. Washington. Yeah. So I want to go with you. And he gets back up. And he gets back <laughs> up. The top five villain deaths in movies, 
covered on our show. Okay. I think we both <clears throat> have an easy number one there. I think we both do. It's got to be General Hummel. Hummel from The Rock. Oh, the slow-mo. It's the, yeah, it's been the greatest honor of my life to serve with you, General. But like you said, it's over. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's so sweet. Uh, John C. McGinley, Bokeem Woodbine. It's just an uh, all-star Tony cast. Tony Todd. Uh, the guy with the partner's hair whose name I can't remember. I know. We can never remember the shit weasel's name. Yeah, we can never fucking remember We've his looked it name. up 50 times. Uh, wait. Uh, Spur. I was just saying Greg, Michael. Greg Spur something. <laughs> he's just like, I mean, he's not watching, but if he was watching. All right. Spurlater. Spurlater. That's Greg his... Spurlater. Yeah, I believe that's his name. All right. <laughs> All right. So what's your number two? Uh, uh, we don't I, have to go in any specific order. On I'll this. go with my number two as... Uh, as Bodie from Point Break. Oh, of course. I've been it is. to every city in Mexico. <laughs> Found an unclaimed piece of meat in Baja. Turned out to be Rosie. <laughs> but I knew you wouldn't miss this, Bodie. And then he and then he cuffs him. Yep. And he's like, "So, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity, man. Look at it, Johnny. Look at, Look it. at it. Look at it. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity, man." Just like, let me, let me get one wave before you take me. Just one wave, compadre. He's not coming back. There's cliffs on both sides. I'm not going to paddle in New Zealand. <laughs> He's not coming back. When he just dies on the waves. Ah! 100 foot break. wave. 100 foot wave, man. Favorite movie of all time for a reason. I'm going to go with my favorite movie of all time for a reason. You love my father, I know. But I loved him too. Commodus. Gladiator, the biggest bitch in movie history, yeah. gets stabbed with his own dagger that he's hiding in the throat while he's holding it. Yeah, slow. Slow. You hear the... <laughs> Is it more or less satisfying than the... <laughs> made by Mel Gibson as he kills the guy with the hatchet? Oh, I know. Nothing's as satisfying as the Mel Gibson. <laughs> uh, all right, that's my number two. What do you got? Um, I will go number three with uh, a little character I like to call Ryder. In the taking of Pelham 123. Oh my god, you did not just go to <laughs> fucking taking of Pelham. When Travolta's like, you're gonna have to do it. You're gonna have to kill me. You're gonna have to fucking shoot me. Oh yeah. And then he shoots him and he's like, my goddamn my hero. Goddamn man. hero, Garver. Yeah. Oh, that is actually a pretty it's sweet. It's good, death. right? It's he's, a good one. You're a goddamn hero. Alright, so I'm gonna have to go with. Oh, yeah. Gar- you were thinking about Garber? I also- was not. I would never <laughs> think about Garber. I was thinking about Looper. And it's that, that little speech he gives. He's like, and then I saw it. The circle. You know, the man that would kill for his wife, the woman that would die for her child, and the child that would, you know, that thing. And then he just turns around and he shoots himself. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit. No. No, 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 no. And then Bruce Willis starts to fade away. Right. And, and I think it's one of the most poetic deaths that a leading man and a villain have had in a movie. Do you think that, um, you know how there's the, like you hear that like line and it's from adaptation but the people say it in real life too that voiceover is like lazy writing mm. um, that in that if you think about like it's the same way with David Mamet says that thing about like it should be about what's happening in the scene not talking about what's going to happen right it's like really purist writers feel that way something like that where he's like and then I saw it and he like like lays it all out right in some ways that's like kind of sloppy because you don't actually need it you could just literally have like the pause yeah I mean it's shot. like yeah, they talk about that in improv all the time. Don't talk about what you're going to do. Just do it. Yeah. Don't talk about your joke. Just do the joke or yeah. whatever. And your audience is smart enough to know. Yeah, don't explain it in the voiceover. Yeah, just, just have do the it. scene happen. That is an interesting point that you that you take there. Um, I mean, I don't think it takes away from the death. It's still a good death. No, no, I don't think so either. I, I am curious, though, as if the movie would be better if, if he didn't do that. Because he, he does have very... He has voiceover in parts of the movie. Both of them do, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't my know. number four is going to be the death of Bart the Bear in The Edge. <laughs> 
can't kill the bear, Charles. And they do kill Too the smart. bear. Uh, when they they fucking hoist Bart the bear up on the spear um, in the most unrealistic. A decrepit, like, hypothermia. Yeah, ridden, ridden Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> They kill the bear and they become savages. Uh, for those of you that haven't watched The Edge, watch The Edge. It's the best movie. Yeah, and you need to watch the episode of The Edge. It's, it's really important. Uh, next, I'm going to go Jeremy Renner in The Town. Oh, The Town. That's a good one. It's interesting because he's not really the bad guy, but he kind of is. Right. Like John Hamm is more the bad guy, but he's also he's the Gerard you know, yeah. of that movie. So Jeremy Renner is like where all the negative parts come from. Just the, the reach over to the soda after he got shot yeah. in the back of the leg. That's and one of my favorites. Just tell how oh, he's just thirsty, he's dehydrated, and he turns. Yeah. He's like, "All right, I'm coming. I, I surrender. I surrender." And then he just gets pop, pop, and yeah. shot to the face, yeah. the cheek, and the head. Oh, yeah, the cheek shot was a good one. It's brutal. It's the gnarly. makeup is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, just a great death. Um, I was gonna go with something a little more serious, but I'm actually gonna go with, "Hey Bennett, let off some steam, hey, Bennett. Let off some steam, Bennett." Where Schwarzenegger throws the pipe through Bennett, uh, and uh, and Bennett, there's steam coming out of him, and <laughs> Bennett, you didn't remember? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was your more serious one? I'm so curious. Uh, I was probably gonna go with the T1000 after he gets Ooh. blown into a thousand pieces, and then he reforms and uh, and he gets knocked like shot with the shotgun, uh, and. Uh, when she, it's he gets shot by Schwarzenegger or from Linda Hamilton, he gets shot by Schwarzenegger, right? I'm trying to remember if Schwarzenegger. She shoots him a bunch, and then yeah, it's it like walks back, and then he shoots him with the grenade coming over the thing, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. I love that movie. The movie's fucking awesome. It's so good. Terminator Two is great, and then he falls backwards into the vat of liquid metal, yep. and all the faces of the people that he's become. It's like a Shang Tsung moment. Yeah, it's a total yeah. Shang Tsung moment. Yeah. Uh, my last one is gonna have to be. It's got to be Agent Smith from the, the original yeah, The Matrix because really when good. he goes in and like, and like the the things coming through his skin and then the one the one that goes over his eyes, my favorite, and then he explodes. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that's our top five guys. If you have a great top five of your favorite villain deaths, let us know at AMA Podcast. Just hashtag top five deaths. Yeah, top five deaths. Let us know what you think the greatest five deaths we've done are. Um, let's move into favorite line. Let's do it. Let's get into favorite line. Yeah. Um, you know, I was trying to think. There's a lot of lines. Denzel has all of them. Um, I don't care about King Kong ain't got shit on me anymore. No, it's like a good line. Yeah. Like, it's entertaining, but it, and it felt like a cop-out to go with it. Yeah. I think my favorite line is when Denzel's giving Ethan Hawke shit about his wife, and he's like, I bet you guys still look each other in the eyes when you fuck each other, don't you? He says <laughs> <laughs> something like that. It's just like... It's like I'd, ra- I'd rather not talk about my wife. It's like such a... Again, it's like a parody. It feels like an SNL sketch. You know what? It's a real fucking parody of that whole thing, is all that talk, and then he goes home and his wife is Eva Mendez. Yeah. And you're like... what? Yeah. She's so hot. Wait, it's not his wife, though. Yeah, well, not really. It's his mistress, right? Yeah. It's yeah. his mistress and his boy. She's, my wife is not hot. She's cute. <laughs> She's cute. Ava Mendez pretty much looked identical between 2001 and 2010, by the way. I she looked like... love with her. She hadn't aged a day between Training Day and the other guys. I'm in love with her. Yeah, I love Ava Mendez. Uh, I've got a few in here. So one of them is that... that <laughs> didn't know you liked to get wet, though. Butt naked. <laughs> Ill. Term. <laughs> Dust, because me and my buddies used to say to each other and call like, you know, you're at a you're at a party and you're like a little little drunker yeah. than you want to be, and you're kind of yeah. like, oh, man, I need to get out of here. Yeah, how you feeling? And they just kind of looked at you and they're like, didn't know you like to get wet though. <laughs> you're like, ah, oh, shit, I gotta. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, but my favorite line was, you don't know what you're talking about. 
They built prisons because of me. Judges have given out over 15,000 man years of incarceration time due to my investigations. Is it 15,000 or is it like 250,000? 15,000 years, I'm pretty sure. I rewound it. Okay. Because I just love, because you hadn't really gotten a qualifier of like why he was such a badass. Yeah, right. But then you hear that real quick. They built prisons because of me. You're like, all right, okay, cool, here it is. Giving yourself your own qualifier. Yeah, Yeah. that's my favorite. (laughs) I mean, this movie is definitely missing some stuff that would turn into full-scale ridiculousness. Like if somebody was like, you're working with the toughest cop on the force. Alonzo Harris. He wears five pounds of gold around his neck. 23 years in the field. He's never <laughs> shot a gun straight, and he's killed 7,000 people. <laughs> average a- average number of bullets shot in a single sequence, 27. <laughs> he's got more Dr. Dre downloads on LimeWire than anyone I've ever met. <laughs> he knows every word to both Chronic and Chronic 2001. <laughs> Dr. Dre is his underling, for fuck's sake. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that's a good segue into exactly what we're talking about next, which is our categories. Which three? Ca- yeah. So there's three action movie categories, guys. If you listen to or watch the show, you know uh, there are totally ridiculous movies like Con Air and Face Off that just fall apart because they're so silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are le- totally re- totally legitimate movies like The Fugitive, Terminator 2, um, where they're just really grounded with, with legitimate stuff and they don't make you laugh unintentionally and they're just very solid. Yeah. Um, and then there are movies in the middle that are ridiculously legitimate, which are um, just sort of silly and you laugh unintentionally at times. But ultimately, they're held together by a really good performance or something about it really keeps you engaged. Those are like The Rock or Point Break. Predator Speed, those are great movies, yeah. For me, I think a lot of people would say this is a totally legitimate movie. Absolutely. I think the normal narrative. I'm going to go, though, ridiculously legitimate. I just found myself laughing at at many moments in this movie. Yeah, it's it's, it's really tough because... You know what? I don't. I don't even need to try to legitimize myself because there is that feeling that we you get when you watch a movie. And this yeah. movie is ridiculously legitimate. I don't know why exactly it's not totally legit. Yeah, but it's not. It's just a little too. It's a little too old. Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. It's like a little be- dated. Yeah. 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 It's like some of the, the stereotypes and the music and and just Denzel the way he acts. A lot of it doesn't feel as real as I want it to be. Yeah. So I'm gonna go ridiculously legitimate, which is a great category to be in. Yeah, it's funny how things that they they go from being dated to swinging back around and being sexy if they were kind of sexy in their time. Right. It's like the 60s and 70s kind of gets to be that way. This, like, this, like, sort of, like, really, really low income, lots of crime, tons and tons of tatted up, like, just, like, tons of Hispanic stereotypes and, like, gold chains and shit. Stereotypes and everything. Yeah. It's, like, not really sexy. It wasn't really at the time. It was just kind of. It's like this at the time I think for us and, yeah. and again this is speaking of two guys that basically grew up as white kids in yeah. the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. So like I don't know what that was like for people growing up in Los Angeles watching that. Yeah. If even at the time for them they were kind of like this is not real life because for us it was for me I'm not going to speak for you for me it was kind of like a look into the world that I didn't yeah, understand right. this you seems figured. so real and you know and I'm sure like that's the thing <clears throat> I'm sure a lot of I'm sure a lot of it was like that I'm sure it seems like caricatures to us though in real life the reason that David Ayer has made these movies and, and written these movies is that there is so much of that it's yeah. like it's a lot closer to reality than we probably realize it's still very very difficult to take seriously when it's like so dramatized and so over the top um and so many of the like so many of the like extra characters like the tertiary characters that end up all his guys it's like what snoop dogg dr dre you have like i mean scott glenn is good but then you have like the guys in his unit it's it's the it's the one the one bad guy from the mask you got billy 
Billy, I was just mine on your cage. Yeah, from it's like pretty Connor. good. Yeah, it's, he's one of the guys. Like, there's so many characters like that where you're just like, like Macy Gray is in it. Like, yeah, well, no it, one likes her. So much of this movie feels like just like sort of like roll of your eyes, silly. Yeah, exactly. That's that, yeah. You kind of roll your eyes a little bit. That's, yeah, that's what it is. So that's the category I think it should fall into for sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So guys, we aren't going to pitch a new movie this week. Um, though if we were going to, the segment would be called The Pitch. Yeah, I just wanted to get it in there for good measure. I just um, like making that sound. <laughs> uh, the, what you guys should do, though, is go find us on Twitter at AMA Podcast. We put up a poll from last week's episode. Last week we covered uh, five to ten minutes on eight movies that we didn't think we could do on AMA, but we always wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. We put up a poll uh, at bracket system. So uh, four Dude, there was of those, like almost a thousand votes. Yeah, it was great. That people was were, so cool. People were really excited. So yeah. uh, I think the winners, the four winners that came out of round one mm-hmm. were the Shawshank Redemption. Yep. The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yep. The other guys. <laughs> I don't know how that beat Sunshine. Uh, and uh, The Weatherman. No, no, The Truman Show. Truman Show, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have The Other Guys, The Truman Show, Lord of the Rings trilogy, and Shawshank Redemption, which I think we will end up putting... We'll split Shawshank and Lord of the Rings. Which pretty much is just a guarantee. I don't even know. We don't yeah. even like need to run the numbers. But we'll put up we'll put up Truman Show and other guys against mm-hmm. those just in case. Um, so go find on a, at AMA Podcast to vote. Because in the end, the movie that wins that whole entire bracket, we are going to do on the show. And we may do the runner-up as well. We may. It depends on yeah which one it is. And then also to add on to the pitch, guys, uh, a couple weeks ago I talked to you about Rachel Brooks Smith. She's an actress, a model, uh, entrepreneur. She's still interested in coming on the show. And we're still interested in having her on the show but we're busy. It's tough. Uh, I think next week is it might happen. If not, it should be the week after that, but we'll keep you guys posted yep. and we'll post the movie uh, as soon as we find out which one it is. Absolutely, guys. So thank you so much for watching the show. Uh, we had a great time as always, and we will see you same time, same place next week. Bye. Bye, guys. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.